Don't eat it before the swim. No, you're good. It's very sensitive, so it's actually grown to okay. be any further away. Fine. Okay. Great. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Celtic Tales Chronicles. We're here in 2024. Woo! <laughs> I'm Carrie, hanging out with Rob. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, if I remember rightly, our last episode of 2023, Kerry, it had a poltergeist mm-hmm. and weird and wild things in it. And I'm just going to say, we should take a moment because we are recording this in a weird and wild place. Indeed. Um, yes, go for it, tell folk what we're doing. So, we're out on the, <laughs> we're out on the bow of a ship, basically, yeah. is what we're going to go with. Yeah. So, in this episode, we're going to be taking a pretty you know, deep dive into female pirates and trust us, those ladies get pretty weird and wild. They do, they do. They get very weird and wild and we are actually outside being weird and wild and there may be many pirates passing. So you might hear noises, birds, screams, all that kind of thing, but that's not that. I think we should end it. Where do we want to start, Ken? We're going to start with Miss Big herself, Granny Whale hits the scene in the 1530s. So, are you ready? I've got my pistol packed. I've got a pair of water wings. <laughs> I have a big wig on. Perfect, Let's ready to go. Okay. Okay, so she's born into the, and you're gonna help me with this pronunciation, right? No, I'm not. <laughs> Umalia clan? That is Umali? I'm just gonna say, but before I say anything, mm-hmm. can I make an intervention? I know we've not quite started yet, but can I make an intervention? Absolutely. Alright. This is pilot related, so audience, wait there. Okay. I'm just remembering here, when I was wee, one of my favourite cartoons was Captain Pugwash. Mm-hmm. And it was a cartoon and a comic, and I loved it. And basically Captain Pugwash, you know, you'd hear about hidden gold, and he'd try and go and find it, and then it'd be comic mistakes we made, and then things would happen, then that would end up with his adventure. But the main thing was that his sidekick, the brains behind the uh-huh. pilot crew, he was called Master Bates. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. interesting. In- interesting. So in- and in every episode, there would come a point where the captain would cry out, Ah, get Master Bates. Oh my god. And then all the crew and all the children watching, mm-hmm. including myself, little little rap, you can like, Master Bates! Master Bates! <laughs> so, anyway, I am. Anyway, I'm just going to put that out there. That's my intervention for it. Okay. To be honest, it's not completely inappropriate in today's episode, even if it is inappropriate for Wayne's in the 70s, because there's going to be a lot of sex going along the Wild Atlantic Way today. Yeah. In the episode. Yeah. Possibly also in real life, but that's that's not about our business. Do you know what? If you are in the Royal Atlantic Way just now and you're having sex. Why are you listening to our why podcast? Why are you listening to our podcast? <laughs> or maybe 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 it adds to it. That's I don't true, know. True. I don't want to think about you. it. But don't worry really about yeah, 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 anyway. I'm just gonna say there may be sex going on just now in the twenty first century, but we do know that in the sixteenth century island mm-hmm. The history of that time can be summed up in two words, and those words are fighting and fornicating. <laughs> fornicating, yeah. Yes, everyone is fighting, fornicating, or fornicating and then fighting, or in the case of Granny Whale, fighting, fornicating, giving birth, then fighting some more, and I mean fighting 
directly after giving birth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how anybody in Galway will ever find time to farm or trade or run a pirate ship, I do not know. Everybody, I mean, everybody was being intimate with everybody else all the time. Although they did find time to go to Mass, the fine Catholics that they were. Very good. Family Domini, Domini Pizza. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> on quickly. Okay, we need to focus now. Let's, before we dive in, let's mention some of our sources and the support we'll be getting as well. So firstly, we want to say a huge thank you to Caroline, head librarian of the Galway City Library and my local authority on Granny Whale. She has been instrumental in the research process for this series and we just can't thank her enough for all of her advice and guidance. Yeah, and if you actually want to hear Caroline herself, she served as moderator for the 2023 Cultural Night event that took place in the City Library and uh, the panel which included Kerry yes. is available to stream now as an episode of the podcast. So Caroline stepped in the last minute to moderate and she did a hashtag awesome job. Indeed. Yeah. Other references include Anne Chambers' book Granny Whale, Ireland's Pirate Queen and an article 16th century Ireland 1485 to 1603 by Orr Dudley Edwards. And I apologise if you can hear us flipping the pages or script. That's alright. And David B. Quinn from Irish Historical Studies, Volume 16. Galway City Library has plenty of literature on oil granules, so if you're interested, absolutely go go there. Go to the library, yeah. Ask the experts. Ah, yeah, go there. And you know what? There might be other things come up, so we'll put more on the episode notes anyway. So, I think we've covered... Okay, we've covered notes, references, masturbation, and lots of other things. I think it might be night time to start the story. I think so. Okay. So, Granny was born into a robust and seafaring clan, and the clan motto was powerful by land and sea. With 400 years of hindsight on my side, it's clear that Granny was destined for the waves because it was basically her birthright. Yeah. However, not many women were given pages and pages of historical records the way men were. Documentary evidence for her life comes mostly from English sources, especially the 18 articles of interrogatory questions put to her in writing on behalf of Elizabeth I, uh, Queen of England. Uh, Cronia predated the careers of more widely known female pirates, Anne Bonny, and her companion Mary Reed by 150 years. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to do them as well, aren't we? We are. We're going uh, to okay, so stay two. tuned. Yeah. Yes, part two. Okay, so then there's the origins of Granny's name. The version that I learned in primary school, local oral tradition, is that O'Malley, as a young girl, wished to go on a trading expedition to Spain with her father. Upon being told she could not because her long hair would catch in the ropes of the ship, which is a great reason, I don't want to get scalped, she cut off most of her hair to shame her father into taking her. And for me, this really stuck with me because this makes her incredibly brave. I've always had long hair except for a brief flirtation with choppy layers in my teens. Spent the last 10 years growing that out. And I couldn't imagine shaving my head to prove a point. So, go Grania. Go Grania. Yeah. when I was a teenager, I briefly had a, what do you call them, a mo- a, a, a mohawk. A mohawk. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Are there any photos I'd love to see? They've I, all been burned. <laughs> I, I dry everything. So, anyway. So, she chopped off her hair, and mm-hmm. some folks say that's, can I get her the nickname? 
Grania whale from whale meaning bald or having cropped hair. So the nickname may also come from Grania Umal, Grania of Umal, Umal being a historical district of West Connacht dominated by the Umaliak family. So, yeah, the facts about her life are vague at times, but there does seem to be some certainty over her birth and death. According to various accounts, she was born in the early 1530s and it's pretty certain she died in 1603. And this actually makes her an exact contemporary of another pretty well-known woman, Queen Elizabeth Tudor, who was born in 1533 and died in 1603. They were both nobles, both women, and both locked in this titanic struggle for the future of Ireland. Yeah, somebody needs to write a, a parallel life book about these two. I keep seeing these parallel lives about famous men. I know there's one about Stalin and Hitler and all this. Yeah, and do you I'm over it like. Get, yeah, get yeah. over it. Yeah. These two, the lives, between the two of them, we just learned so much about not just Ireland and the UK, but the world yeah. in the second half of the, the 16th century. So somebody has to do that part of their lives. Elizabeth Tudor, the Virgin Queen, is renowned across the world and neither has Grania been forgotten. There's two notable statues of Grania, one at Westport House and one just outside Old St. Pat's Church, which sounds like it could be in Ireland, but it's actually in Chicago. Mm. She's beloved the world over, and rightly so. Yeah, as well as Grace O'Malley Park in House, which commemorates her supposed attempted visit in 1576. She attempted to visit, <laughs> oh, the Do you know what? That's fine, we're outside, that we have a, it, there's ice around us just now. We're shaking, and uh, we're drinking tea, so bear with us, okay. She apparently, according to legend, Granny Whale, temporarily abducted a family member after being denied entry. Okay, so that's why I've got a park named after her there. And then since 1948, the commissioners of Irish Lights have sailed three vessels named Granny Whale and across the Atlantic and the USA, Florida to be exact. Grace O'Malley is the inspiration for the Royal Crew of Grace O'Malley. One of the many crews that participate in the Gasparilla Pirate Festival. So, yeah, boo socks to mm -hmm. Elizabeth Tudor and all her little Tudors, who is not celebrated in any pirate festivals. No. So, yeah, boo socks. Kerry, I'm going to say this at you. Mm -hmm. How do you do with boats? Well, Rob, I actually do love the sea. I grew up walking distance from a beach and once upon a time, drove a speedboat off the coast of Donegal at the tender age of 12. <laughs> oh, okay, speedboats in puberty, that works so well. Yeah, okay. before you panic, it was all above board and my parents were present on said speedboat. It reminded me of driving a horse and cart, which I've also done. What? Once upon a time, <laughs> Donegal's a wild place. Yeah, it's a wild place. So, yeah, it made me feel like you need to be respectful of the force driving you, but not scared of it. And even though I've only driven one boat, this far, I feel like I could do it again at a moment's notice. Don't quote me on that. Do it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well my engagement with the sea is kind of a typical Glaswegian one. Mm. Um, so when, when I was we had a thing called the Fair Fortnight, and that's when workers traditionally had their holiday, and the entire city would decamp and go down the water. And that is, they would travel down the Clyde Estuary mm. to one of the islands in the Lower Hebrides. So it's an incredible landscape full of hills and vast expanses of water. 
And from what I remember, this is the landscape of the ancient Gaelic kingdom of Dalryda as well. Yeah, so I spent my childhood travelling through a landscape of myth and history. Unfortunately, Kerry, there was also the time oh. when Jaws the movie came out. Do, do. Do, do. Oh, maybe we can't use that, but <laughs> uh, yeah, you all know it. Okay, I'm going to tell you, as a wee boy, it scared the shit out of me. And I actually do remember sitting on a beach. And I'm actually going to just describe this beach for a minute. Because the beach would be packed. And then there was a sewer outlet pouring shite out <laughs> onto the beach. But it was great because, like, mussels and whelks, they eat the shite. So oh. there's a lot of mussels and whelks. So then people would get the mussels and whelks and eat them. Oh, wow. I'm not sure how healthy it was. Anyway, that's the beach. I was sitting there, not concerned about the sewage. Yeah. But I was concerned about... <laughs> I'd be looking at the crowds. I'd be looking at the water. Yeah. And I'd be thinking... Oh, there's a big, big shark out there. I was absolutely terrified. I mean, you would be like. Yeah. I think Granny probably would have laughed at the idea of a giant shark. Mm. I think her family would have been so blasé about a big rubber monster jumping out of the water. After all, this is the west of Ireland, and there's a lot of real weird creatures and places along the coast. Yeah, there is. I not know. to, not to, you know, diminish your fear. Which is a very real fear, and I would have had that too had I seen Jaws as a child. Yeah, thank you, thank yeah. you for letting me own my fear there. Um, yeah, West of Ireland, it's full of weird and wild creatures, and I'm just going to try and think of some. Balor, mm-hmm. he's the one-eyed king of the Fomorians, and he lives on an island oh, somewhere along the west, and this island is attached to Mayo by great chains apparently. So for a laugh, sometimes he chokes choke, the chains, and that's how you get air tremors and stuff in the kind of Western Island. Oh, there you go. That is terrifying. Yeah. And then there's high, is it high Brazil or high Brazil? I think it's high Brazil. High Brazil, sounds yeah. about right. There's high Brazil, a magical island that wanders up and down the west and south of Ireland, sometimes drifting off into the Atlantic. And it's a magical place that lures sailors from their path with the promise of gold. Yeah, and interestingly, High Brazil, it remained on British naval maps mm. right up to the end of the 19th century. Has there been a cover-up? Do you know what? We're going to have to do a podcast episode well, of I think High so. Brazil. I think there's definitely something we're going to have to do. Honestly, guys, something that happens when we're doing research is we come up with about 20 more ideas for episodes because the stuff we're looking into is so interesting and we're like we should focus on this we should focus on this yeah and we have to stay focused on the subject yes yeah that's it and then of course coming back to it there's the weather the atlantic has as you know we're outside right now so an incredibly dynamic weather system and anybody who lives in galway knows that the weather can switch quite wildly over the course of one day we're hoping that it's going to switch from icy to warm. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about I like about West of Ireland and West Scotland as well is the rain. Mm. The rain here is very beautiful. Uh, it's as beautiful as the sunshine. Uh, the way it kind of carries the colour of the light and stuff. But of course, it'd be even more dramatic and devastating encountering gusts of rain and storms and blasts out there on the Atlantic Ocean. And it sounds dangerous, but also very exhilarating, which sounds like it's right up Granny Street, to be honest. Yeah, I, I get the impression she would just be, yeah, very up for it, okay? Um, so, unlike most coastal families now at the time, I never kind of mostly like doing fishing stuff, the Amalies 
were explorers and pirates, and they did not confine themselves to the west of Ireland. According to some sources, they traded and plundered as far as Scotland and Spain, which means I could have had an ancestor shagged by Amali. I yeah. might actually be Amali. Rabble Mali. Uh, Rabble Mali. That's it. We're not going to do any tests, we're just going to believe it and, you know... It's my truth. It's your truth. Yeah. Sometimes that's yeah. what you need. Fuck it, I am a pirate. You I've are. spent a lot of my life living in the company of... Interesting folk. Interesting folk, so I'm going to claim it. Okay. Very good. Now, it is worth examining why piracy had such prevalence at this time. I'm just going to say, put on, I'm putting on my nerd glasses just now. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So... Anne Chambers states in her book, Granny Whale, Ireland's, Ireland's Pirate Queen, that a 1518 bylaw prohibited unlicensed visits to Galway City by Gaelic clans. This inability to visit Galway City, the trading capital of the West, ensured that the O'Malley's needed to sail and trade their goods by the sea. Fishing was one of the main sources of income for coastal clans in the West, and piracy had basically been their side hustle and supplemented their main income for hundreds of years already. Yeah, and that still goes on to this day in parts yeah. of the world. It's like yeah. piracy is like supplementing it for everything. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things to take note of is that uh, there was a lot of a lot of these changes in Ireland, like um, suddenly the, the Gaelic clans were banned from Galway. These were part of a new drive by the Tudors to weaken autonomous, autonomous Gaelic power bases and eventually to introduce a centralised English feudal system. So stopping Gaelic nobles and families trading in English controlled cities it was a big deal and it was part of a big plan. What a lot of people don't realise, and I actually didn't know until we started researching this, was how huge of a trading city Galway was in the late medieval period. For example, Galway imported more wine than London during this period, which is a lot. A lot. A lot of this was to do with trade winds and currents out in the Atlantic, and in turn, this was part of an ancient sea route that connected Galway with the Iberian Peninsula in the south and then northward west to Scotland, Orkneys, that you say? Yeah. And Scandinavia. Yeah. And this sea route, this and sea trade. It's also reflected in the myth and folklore of Ireland. Uh, the Milesians were said to have arrived in the west of Ireland having travelled from Spain. And many of the cano canonical... What a word. What a word. Mythic tales involve Scotland. Coo Cullen, for example. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to do an episode on this as well. Oh, yeah. It'd, it'd be a hashtag porn episode. <laughs> Coo Cullen, he learned his sword-fighting skills, and people should know this, from the greatest sword-fighters in the world who were the women who ruled the Isle of Skye. As I say, that saucy mm -hmm. tale. For another time, yeah. it's too early in the day to really? talk about that. Yeah. And I will say, those women on the Isle of Skye remind me of, you know, the Amazons in yeah. the ancient Greek and Roman tales. So, could be could be interesting to look into that, perhaps, mm. some other time. More parallels with women. Readers, give us your, what you want us to do. Yes. Yeah. So, although the exact number of ships belonging to the O'Malley clan is unknowable, Granny is recorded as commanding from as few as three and to as many as 20 ships over the course of her career. And 20 ships back then? That's yeah, a lot. A big investment. So, she was the only child of her parents. 
and records suggest her brother Donald was either a half sibling or illegitimate. So she was the one parent of two mm. of them, but she had a half brother as well. Technically, this didn't matter. His sons born outside or inside wedlock were all eligible for the same inheritance rights and election to the position of chieftain. That's so interesting because almost everywhere else in Europe at this time, legitimacy was so important as someone's heir. The fact that male children born outside marriage were legally allowed to ascend to chieftain if elected, but women, aka their daughters, were not, is ridiculous. But at the same time, laws around marriage were much more favourable to women in Ireland than anywhere else. You could keep your maiden name, your dowry was refundable for your first marriage in the case of divorce or death, and you could own your own property, which it was huge. Yeah, I mean, a big contrast to the lives of English women at the mm. time, a big contrast there. And yeah, because their husbands owned everything. Uh, interestingly, in Ireland, trial marriages were commonplace. And divorce was allowed at this time. And, okay, just to clarify that, Ireland only reintroduced divorce legally in 1996, after the Constitution outlawed it in 1937. And, listeners, if you want to hear more about the divorce and all that, listen to the Poltergeist episode, because we talk about it yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, divorce was only illegal here for like less than 100 years, which is mad. Yeah. You know? But yeah, so the fact that women in Ireland had more freedom than their counterparts in Europe at the time could be attributed to the fact that the Roman Empire never made it here. Yay! Woo! Uh, Not getting oppressed. (laughs) And Gaelic society continued largely unaffected while Europe went through the Reformation, the Renaissance and more. And even when you look at Irish art and architecture and stuff from this time, it's so unique compared to the other stuff in Europe because they had their you know, artistic movements, we were just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Chilling, accessing mushrooms. Who's to say? Fighting and fornicating. That's what, that was it. Um, however, let's not get too romanticised because, as we said, I am at this time was going through some pretty dramatic changes. And it's worthwhile having a look at some of those changes that happened during the life of growing your way. Okay. So it's time to put on our nerd hats, Again, not just our glasses. Oh, hats as well. Yeah. And take a quick dive into medieval Ireland. Yay! Woo! We love medieval Ireland. So it's a little bit confusing, but we'll we'll hold your hand through it, reader, we listener, will. not reader. Yeah. Except for the ones that are having sex just now. And the yeah, I don't want to be involved. We don't want to be involved. Good just for you though. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> well done, Marsha. Okay. And just to point out. There are plenty of Irish historians who are still arguing the fine points of this, so if we get anything wrong, please forgive us. And if you are a historian listening to this, let us know the facts at thekeltictaleschronicles at gmail.com. Yeah, if anybody can email us there, go for it. Okay, here's weird fact number one. There were two islands during the medieval period. There was Gaelic Ireland, which was ruled by the great Gaelic families, these are their own customs, laws, patterns of the arts, language. And then there was English Ireland, which began with the Normans in 1200 and something. Anyway. Oh, wow. Did you hear those birds? Oh, my God. I hope, the, I hope it picked that up. Wow. Yeah. There's, some, there's lots of birds. I'm feeling very Alfred Hitchcock right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, anyway, 
The Normans were loyal to England and they set up institutions that mimicked English institutions. So they were basically just trying to, yeah. you know, remake Ireland in England's image. There was a parliament which passed laws and regulations and taxes for the English in Ireland, which ran from 1297 to 1800. Yeah, it's a long time. Mm. And the weird thing is, these two islands did interact. Some Irish became so. Some Irish became like the English. Some English became more Irish. And there's a lot. Do you know what I'm going to go into the old Lois stories? But basically, there was also a fear from the kind of high Hegians that ran England. There was a fear that of the English going native, and this fear was enshrined in the statute, statute of Kilkenny, which is from 1367, which made it illegal for English in Ireland to speak Irish, and also legal for the Irish to speak their language when dealing with the English. There was always a fear that the English would quote-unquote go native. A similar fear existed in other parts of England's territories. In Wales, for example, in 1553, a new law banned the Welsh from the law courts and monoglot Welsh, Welsh speakers were barred from holding public office. So if you couldn't speak English, yeah. even in your own country, you couldn't hold office, which is insane. Yeah, so that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, the, the weird thing is that in Ireland, the great Irish and English nobles they would become allies or rivals in local, national, international disputes. So there was this dynamic exchange going on between them all the time. And then gradually the parliament in Ireland, which looked after English folk and English things, it came, became undermined by the factional disputes between the leading English families. And those English families, even called them English, they've been in Ireland at this point for hundreds of years. Mm. Meanwhile, the Irish lords, as the English were fighting amongst themselves, they were growing more powerful. Under the Tudors, the English monarchs began to increase the territory controlled by English lords, in particular English lords that were important to the Tudor dynasty. This only increased tensions and conflicts and rebellions. Alright, so now we're going to get... John, the wheel's going to come into slowing now. 1535. She's a little toddler, okay? So just, she's, this is when she's a child. And the tensions between the English factions erupted into warfare. So Thomas Fitzgerald, he's the 10th Earl of Kildare, led a rebellion and captured Dublin. And historically, the Fitzgeralds were the viceroys of Ireland, overseeing it on behalf of the English crown. But Thomas's father was in dispute with Henry VIII and had to go to England to answer charges. When it was rumoured they'd been killed, Thomas led this rebellion. And then Henry decided that it was time to settle Ireland once and for all. He also decided that Ireland would be one united kingdom under English law, governance, society and language. This of course led to rebellions by Old English and Gaelic lords. These rebellions would take place across Ireland over the lifetime of Granny Whale, as England increased its violent imposition of a new order in which there would be no place for Gaelic lords, Gaelic institutions, customs, or language. Yeah, I mean, basically, Henry thought, fuck it. You know, this whole two islands and negotiating between them, that's done with that. There's, there's going to be one island, and that will be English Ireland. What a 
dick. What a dick, my, yeah. so true. Yeah, so in 1541, and I just need to clarify, this is just so, I mean, I have this story in Scotland as well, there's plenty of other examples around the world, not just in Europe, but in other parts of the world and different continents, of nations having what we cry cantons, you know, the canton thing, different languages, different cultures, yeah. and working it together. Not under England, it's fuck you, excuse my yeah. language. Anyway, so he declared, in 1541 declared, Ireland was one United Kingdom and set about trying to undermine and destroy Irish culture, dynasties, politics, language, land ownership, the whole thing. So this needed more English soldiers and more English plantations taking control of loads of Irish land. Gaelic lords were forced to accept English feudal structures, English law and language were imposed and Catholicism was banned. And we're still dealing with the effects of this. this very we deep. should be speaking Irish. We're in the west of Ireland. Like it should be everyone's first language here. But no, most yeah. of the time it's English. Yeah. And you just, so this is, history but it's also living history anyway and it, it didn't just impact on Irish it also impacted on old English families too you have to make that point I mean many of them wanted to remain Catholic many of them were used to this dynamic exchange partnership rivalry between the Irish and English families but suddenly that was all done with that was to be gone there was Henry's way and that was it the Irish were no longer just difficult partners they were a problem they need to be solved. They need to have manners put on them. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's a 800 year old <laughs> yeah. tale as old as time. Yeah. So the Irish, of course, don't respond well to this dictate of the crown. And there was a lot of admiration for those who somehow managed to keep <laughs> who somehow managed to keep their autonomy and power in this changing world. And one of the finest examples of that resistance to English change was Granuel, who came to represent Irish power, untrammeled and undefeated. So, history lesson over, back to Granuel's story. Yay! Go Granuel! So, we're going to go now to 1546. She's 16 and she gets married to Donald Flaherty, the Tonister or heir to the Flaherty clan. And they're a powerful Gaelic family who controlled parts of Galway and Connemara. And so fierce was the reputation that the English city of Galway had an inscription on its huge walls from the ferocious O'Flaherty's O Lord the Deliverers. That's so badass. <laughs> yeah. So the O'Flaherty's base was in Bunowen, along from Roundstone. From this location, they could control the Atlantic Passage into Galway City and Galway County. Donal and Grania were the perfect power match. She brought ships and fighting men to the marriage, as well as brains and fertility. Grania gave birth to three children by Donal, two sons, Owen and Murrow, and a daughter, Maeve. And even if she couldn't be the chieftain in name, she was the undisputed leader of the Omalia clan following her father's death. Yeah, but uh, Donal of Flaherty, he was a bit hot-tempered. Mm. And he definitely lacked leadership skills. And Gronya quickly assumed leadership of the authorities too. Girl boss alert. Girl boss alert. Definitely, yeah. So in 1565, after falling into an English engineer dispute, Donald was ambushed and killed by his Galway rivals. So Gronya, now 35 years of age, sought revenge 
and a re-establishment of her authority by raiding Cox Castle in Loch Horeb. With Donald's wealth and land returning to their flat decline, Grania returned to her family's base on Clare Island. From there, she quickly asserted her sovereignty over the west of Ireland with raids from Donegal to Waterford. This was a, a dangerous coastline with fierce storms and fierce enemies. Grania survived it all and gained her reputation as a pirate queen. She would brook no enemies and always sought revenge. It was definitely an exciting life, but not a romantic one. History tells us that sailing was traditionally a male career choice, and even nowadays that does tend to be true. Not that women can't sail, but that they are often excluded from it. As Anne Ch Chambers says, in the 16th century, conditions aboard were primitive, privacy non-existent. To give birth on a bucking galley on the high seas, as Granny Whale did, seems unimaginable, end quote. It's the lack of running water for me. When I was 13 or so, our pipes froze during the winter and we had to melt snow for water and it was awful and the idea of not being able to wash after literally giving birth hell okay so i'm just going to clarify you're not going to give up podcasting for piracy if the ship comes with an ensuite i could be tempted but probably not all right okay and just to clarify gronya whale did give birth on a ship and we're going to get back to that later so not long after the death of a Flaherty, she took a lover, the woman has needs, Hugh DeLacy, who she rescued from a shipwreck. Cool. When he was murdered in a raid by the McMahon clan of Duna Castle, Grania hunted down every one of the murderers, <laughs> slew them all, and then attacked and took the castle. Talk about girlfriend of the century. Uh, do you know what? I'm telling you. Whoa. What a woman. What, what a woman. So then... Just because she doesn't rest this one. In 1566, she had a trial marriage. We spoke to them earlier. A trial marriage with Richard the Iron Buck, who had a strategically placed castle. One year after the marriage, Gronje and her warriors took over the castle, locked Burke out, and then with a cry of, I dismiss you, Gronje ended the trial marriage. Strangely enough, Richard Burke did not become her enemy. He remained her loyal friend. Clearly he was a man who appreciated women with attitude and knew he wasn't the man for Gronje. I think stories like this make you realise just how charismatic a person Gronje must have been. Yeah. Sure, she humped and dumped Richard Burke, then took his fucking castle. <laughs> but he seems to have thought that it was the coolest thing that had ever happened to him. So... He was happy, she was happy, we're all friends. And then, just keep going with the cool stuff, she did something which I'm pretty sure really blew Buck's mind. Let's just get this. So she was pregnant with their child, fair enough. But she was a pirate queen, and sometimes pirate get pirates get into fights with other pirates. And there were a lot of pirates raiding Ireland in the 16th century, in particular, there were pirates based in North Africa who would make raids to the south of Ireland to capture booty and slaves. These pirate crews are usually referred to as Algerian, but in actual fact they were a pretty international crew consisting of Dutch, Algerian and Ottoman Turks, as well as people from pretty much every other place. Yeah. Anyway, 
1667, Grania found herself in conflict with, with one of these pirate fleets. However, as well as having to command her own fleet, she was also in labour. So as these pirates drew closer, she gave birth to her son. But as she cried out with labour pangs, the oh. Algerians boarded her ship. Oh. Grania wrapped herself in blankets, grabbed her sword, and rushed up to the deck to beat the enemy back. Fuck. Can you imagine? Fuck yeah. 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 I've just given birth. Fuck yes. I want my toast and tea now. That's it. I know people say that women have a higher pain tolerance because obviously there's, you know, you, you yeah. pay period. Not every woman gets period, but a lot yeah. of women do. Yeah. And it, you get used to pain from such a young age. But like that's next level. That's just taking it up a whole yeah. level. And you know what? Richard Burke, I'm just imagining him. I mean, he must have thought, wow, I shagged her for me. Yeah. <laughs> it would definitely be my, my Instagram feed. <laughs> I shagged her. I'm the coolest guy ever. Yeah. I think he must have been a number one fan. Oh, for sure. He yeah. was simply number one. Yeah. The other thing about Grania that's cool is that she was not just a bloodthirsty warrior. Unlike so many male leaders at the time, it was not bloodshed for bloodshed's sake. She had rules and she valued loyalty. Yeah. I mean, that Houth story we mentioned earlier is a good example of the rules she lived by. Houth is in the east of Ireland. And when Grania was sailing there, she called in at a local castle to get provisions for her ship. The Earl Houth turned her away. This offended Grania, who believed in the Irish custom of always providing food and shelter to those who ask. So that night, she slipped into the castle and kidnapped the Earl. She promised to release him on condition that there would always be an extra place at his table for any strangers that came home. Timmy? Legend. Now this story might be apocryphal, but it does reflect the way that Gaelic nobility wanted to be seen, which is how Grania wanted to be seen. But there is nothing apocryphal about the tales of her fierce loyalty. In particular, she remained absolutely committed to supporting her former husband and lover, Richard Burke. Besties for the resty. Absolutely. She is, yeah, she's cool. I've got a helicopter now. They must be looking for Grania. That's it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Grania supported his claim to become heir to the MacWilliam clan. However, English law was now being imposed on male under Elizabeth Tudor, and the English wanted a first-born male to be the heir. Tensions mounted in male, but Grania, ever clever, decided to not fight the English. Instead, she offered them ships if they would let Burke retain his position. From being conquerors, the English and male had to accept being partners. Wow to the formidable pirate queen. But things were getting harder for the autonomous Gaelic nobility and clans, and life was getting difficult for Grania. During a raid, uh, <laughs> during a raid on Munster, she was captured by the local earl. He was trying to curry favour with the English queen, so he sent Grania to the English. Held in a dungeon in Dublin Castle, she somehow escaped. But the facts are a bit obscure. But she escaped. She escaped, yeah. Royally pissed off, she began raiding the English ships. Yeah, she did. Oh, just don't mess with this woman. That's it. And there's a helicopter out now. Look at searching for the spirit of her. My goodness, I'm getting cold. We're outside and 
We're, we are so brave. We, we are, are so braver brave. than yeah. the, the troops. Um, when the head of the William clan died, the English now tried to stop Richard Burke inheriting his title. Gronya went to war on behalf of her friend. She raised a massive army, including Scottish mercenaries as fierce and bloody as Gronya. The English backed down and Richard became head of the clan. Gronya, who was now his wife again, again, details are obscure, became Lady Buck. On again, off again, relationships and new things. It's just the bit, bit bigger They've back They've been happening. Yeah. But sadly, in 1583, her friend, lover, and now husband died. As, you know, people always are. Oh, yeah, God. it's very sad. Yeah. And his property returned to his clan. Gronje, with her loyal followers, returned to the sea. But the English still feared her, and they were determined to destroy her. Yeah. In 1886, I'm trying to think, she's now 56 or something. Mm -hmm. In 1886, Richard Bingham, the governor of Connacht, led an attack that killed her son, Owen. And when she sought revenge, he finally captured her and sentenced her to death. Once more, classic Grania, she escaped oh and joined the Irish Rebellion. Woo. She was in an armed revolt against Bingham, but her fleet was gradually being destroyed and her power bases undermined. But ever confident and ever proud, Grania decided to circumvent Bingham and go straight to his boss, yeah. who just so happened to be Queen Elizabeth of England. Yeah, a perfectly natural thing to do for Grania was a queen as well, mm -hmm. and the equal of any monarch. So in 1593, she wrote to the English Queen that the conflict in the West was caused by Bingham. In revenge, Bingham captured her other son and accused him of treason, a crime punishable by death. Would he not cop on? I just like it better now he this. Grania, using her own formidable network of contacts, now left Ireland and went straight to the Queen of England. They met in Greenwich, is that how you say? Could be. Greenwich? Greenwich? Who's to say? Elizabeth, according to all accounts, was awestruck by the old woman who turned up at her court, demanding a hearing. Yeah, according to some accounts, the Queen of England, she was all attired in fine clothes and jewellery. But Gronje looked like what she was, a hard-bitten, wind-burned pirate with wild hair and battered boots. And I would say that Gronje was making a point there. She did not need to dress nobly, for she herself was nobility personified. Yeah, fuck yeah. One story has it that when Gronje sneezed, she was offered a hanky. She looked at it, wiped her nose, and then threw it in the fire. Who would be so foul as to keep a dirty piece of linen? Yeah, I just, her attitude is just so, so good. Yeah, and I, I, I know, when I think about this, this meeting between these two queens, I imagine all the English flunkies trying to explain court etiquette to Gronje, how to address Elizabeth, how to bow, how to act properly. And Gronje must have thought them absolute fucking knobheads. Yeah. yeah. Grania did not do the etiquette thing. No! She spoke to Elizabeth as one queen to another. And the English monarch, the virgin queen, 
who feared having lovers would undermine her court and power, was absolutely bowled over, mm. awestruck by this powerful woman who had had lovers beyond count and had personally killed anyone who dared cross her. Yeah, yeah. So impressed was Elizabeth that she ordered Gronia's son released, returned her lands to her and gave her the title Chieftain of Mayo. But though she had retained her own independence, she was powerless to defend Ireland's Gaelic lords and customs. Yeah. In 1602, the Irish rebellion was finally defeated. In 1607, the flight of Errols took place when the last of the great Gaelic chiefs fled Ireland never to return. Gone, excuse me, <coughs> Gronia died just before this in 1603. So the flight of the Earls is a whole other story yeah. we should certainly cover Definitely. in the future. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's it. Granny passed and yeah, very sad. Yeah. And Ireland has been trying to get the England the England the English out of Ireland ever since. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of weird things, just even her death. Like she died in sixteen oh three and Queen Elizabeth died the same year. Mm, yeah. Weird spooky coincidences. And I don't know. What do you think of the afterlife, Kerry? I don't know that they ended up in the same place, to be fair. I don't know that they ended up meeting up in the afterlife because, you know, you go up or you go down and yeah. I'll keep my opinions to myself on that one. But yeah. on that note, we have made it. We are two icicles at this point recording outside. Oh my God, there's been helicopters, crowds, seagulls attacking. It's been Everything. great. It's been, and, uh, it's been It's been great. A good way to start the year with a bang. Yeah, and start our series on packs. We're doing another woman. Yes. We're doing more woman piracy. Absolutely. Stay tuned now for part two of Woman in Piracy. This time it's personal. This time it's personal. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. All, All right. right, I will keep going because I want to tell your news. Neil! Yes! What have you got up to? My news. So, my exciting news is I'm now producing a podcast series. Oh, what's it called? It's called Isht. Isht. Oh. Yeah. For eth Ethereal Magazine here in Galway. So, keep an eye on my social medias. I'll be promoting that very soon. Yeah. It's basically interviewing young creatives in the west of Ireland. Oh, um, Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. And yeah, that's my big news at the moment. My other news, I want to buy some hiking boots. That's my, my other oh. plan. I think maybe later today I'll go try and find some hiking boots because I'm at the stage in my life where I want comfortable shoes. You it know? happens. It does. It happens. For me, it's happened at 26, but it happens. It does happen. And what's your news, Ralph? Well, I'm 56 and I am still attempting to reach a place of maturity and responsibility and I'm still hoping to get there. That's my plan. Great. It's not... <laughs> I've had an adventurous uh, couple of months. I, uh, I've been hanging out with lots of people from various parts of the planet and uh, yeah, so now I'm kind of... I don't really, what's my news? What oh, I finished, well, I started writing uh, some new short stories. Great. And uh, I'm very pleased with them. So that's what I'm doing just Very now. exciting. That's kind of sick. Oh, God, of course. The one thing. Of, the shows. The shows. The shows. Yeah. We have various shows coming up. First of all, we have the podcast. 
Yes, when you're listening to this, the launch will have happened. But we are going to be launching season two of the podcast in the Galway City Library. Yeah. So I'm going to speak preemptively and say, it went so well. It was so great. I was, the crowd control was crazy. Oh my God. Didn't expect all those famous people to show up, but we, we won't spoil any names. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we have that coming up. And then the Celtic Tales storytelling yeah. will be coming back in person very, very soon. Yeah, we're going to, originally I was going to start again in April. And then folk kept getting demanding more, so I was going to start in March, but now it's actually going to start. The very first one is the Thursday, 22nd of February. So, come along. And I will say the demand is high, so book your tickets on Eventbrite, come early. Yeah, Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to getting to see everyone in person again. It's been a long old winter. (laughs) (sighs) It's, it's, It's been long, and it's fine. All right, okay. we're going to go warm up. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you very much. Stay tuned and stay warm. And those pair in the wild Atlantic, please stop now. Take a yeah. breath. Take a breath. Yourself. Drink some water. Yeah. You know, have a Slog. Slog. The Celtic Tales Chronicles is written, hosted and produced by Kerry Graham and Rob Fulton. Edited by Rob Fulton. Cover artwork by Kerry Graham. Music by Kevin McLeod.